Hello and welcome to Extraordinary with me, James Wallace, the podcast that shines a light on ordinary people who have gone on to do and see extraordinary things. And in this episode, I am joined by the amazing life coach that is Gemma Perlin. I would say like we're not we're not human doings, we're not robots, we're not computers, we're actually human beings and we're incredibly sensitive. So this whole kind of like, okay, you've got to start, just get back into normal life now. There's kind of like quite a lot of hardness around that. Gemma tells me what it was like to transition away from TV production into the world of life coaching. It's a super fascinating conversation because Gemma has walked the walk and she can talk the talk. She's had a career and now she coaches others on how to navigate theirs. I believe that when they go out on a big night out, they have to be some other kind of person. And that feels like effort. Whereas for some people, going out is actually when they're their true self. So they may feel that when they're being at home, watching TV, that like that's not who they really are. So the arena to really be who they want to be is in a massive nightclub. I found this conversation super interesting. If you're interested in psychology, well-being, mindfulness, mindset, this is a podcast for you. If you have these glasses on that are like, I'm not worthy, I don't have anything useful to say, everywhere you look, you'll find reasons why you're not the right person to speak in the presentation. You're not the right person to stand up and present like to your company. And as always, if you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I did making it, then please don't forget to head over from wherever you're listening from to leave a rating or a review. And of course, if you really want to show some love, then please share it with friends and family as well. It just means the world to me and helps the podcast keep going and growing. So without further ado, enjoy the show. So Gemma, thank you so much for joining today. Really appreciate you being here. Before we get started, I would love you to tell me a bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, My name's Gemma and I'm a coach and I specialise in behaviour change. And what that means is I help people change the way that they think so that they can live a life that they feel really excited about. Oh, I love it. What an elevator pitch. Like that's probably the best elevator pitch I've ever heard honestly just like that's what came to me right now it changes really? every moment every day yeah so that's just how I feel this morning and that leads me on to to my next question which is because I think there's there was a writer in there somewhere in that little speech that was like very good copywriting um but tell me a little bit about how you ended up um being here like how did you get to um be a life coach if we were to go back and connect all the dots tell me a bit about that yeah of course so I I grew up um very in a very kind of academic school um all about you know getting the straight straight a stars at GCSE on that on that track and I always really wanted to work in TV when I was about from about the age about 16 my mom worked in TV it always seemed really exciting to me um so I spent about 10 years working kind of from the ages and I, I went to university in between and studied politics pretty much trying to get as far ahead as I could in the world of documentary and kind of political satire as well. Um, And it was really, really, really fun, but I never felt particularly connected to it. I say to people sometimes, I'm like, it was a job that when you go to a party and you sell people that you work in TV, people want to talk to you. It's glamorous. It seems cool. You get invited to fun things. You're always about, you know, always on on the go. But internally, the experience I found was one of a lot of anxiety. But to be honest, my anxiety at the time was not necessarily about the job specifically, but sort of around, I'd say, like my early to mid-20s, I started getting kind of quite ill, physically unwell. My body basically just started attacking myself. Everything in my body just didn't really want to work. Just kind of my stomach, my bladder, my eyes, my body was attacking itself. And I didn't think that that was connected at all to my mind. Mm. I just thought, oh, there's something wrong with my body. How infuriating that it's not letting me do what I really want to do. Anyway, what happened next was looking for a way. And I had loads of sort of, you know, 50 million doctors, all these things, tried every sort of medication, all these things. I was like, well, it would be good, I suppose, with resistance to think about how my mind plays into all of this. And then I discovered this framework and the framework changed my life and literally I remember it so clearly like a week I mean only like a few like maybe like a day into studying this and doing it and experiencing it I was like right this is what I'm going to do now for the rest of my life and that hasn't changed since then really so was when you say you got um taught about this framework was that like in a therapy session type thing 
So I had been aware of neurolinguistic programming. So I'm oh, a master wow. NLP practitioner for a while. And I just had something within me without even having a session. I decided to sign up to become a practitioner. <laughs> just like, and, and if, as my very limited understanding of NLP is that this is like heavy, heavy going stuff. Like it's a what? whole thing. A whole thing. I would say it's a model of a way of understanding human change. I don't find it. I'm interested in what feels heavy about it. What feels like a heavy thing? Well, I, I was told that it's kind of like learn. It's like a whole, I guess it was described to me. It's like you've got in science, you've got like chemistry, biology, physics. Like it's almost like a whole different science to understanding everything. It's like a mixture of psychology, sociology, biology to some extent as well. And it's like, it's not like a psychological theory. It's way bigger than that. But again, I might be talking absolute gibberish. So I'm leaning on you to help me and whoever's listening understand what NLP is in a little bit more detail. Yeah, I think what comes across from what you're saying, which I think is really important about NLP is... I like to think that it it basically takes everything that's worked in different modalities of like therapy and psychology and then creates an understanding of like how we can actually create change. So it's not about why you are the way that you are. It's about how we can create something different instead. For example, you know, why do some people have anxiety around public speaking, but other people don't? And when people were able to stop feeling anxious about public speaking and become really confident, what actually happened there? And then they turn that into models. And then people like me learn to understand these models. And then we can help people set them free from the things that hold them back. Wow. That is so interesting. So so you were, so were you kind of like in this instance, like the client, someone had said, right, I'm going to, I'm an NLP practitioner. I'm going to tell you about this, I don't know, framework model, whatever. Um, and then once you understood that, you were like, wow, like, I feel like you felt empowered to go on and, and study it and become a practitioner yourself. Is that is that right? I literally just signed up to become a practitioner. <laughs> I just I learned all of this on the practitioner course. So I started and part of learning, it's not theoretical, really. NLP, you need to really do it. Mm. So we would be coaching each other and I'd be doing a process with someone who literally like me had no idea what I was doing. And I was still experiencing huge shifts in my way I felt. And then things started changing in my life. And then over the course then of about two and a half years, I did more and more studying, getting more and more advanced into it. And like I always say to people, like, this isn't something I, you know, studied and just like, like learn like theoretically, like I've gone through all of this myself. When I have someone sitting in front of me being like, oh my God, okay, wow. I'm like, yeah, I've been there. And like, I changed my entire life because of it. It's insane. So but from a career perspective, you're like, you know, dealing with anxiety and, and having sort of a, a physical and, you know, mental reaction to kind of the, the work that you were doing, which I guess in hindsight, you probably didn't love as much as you thought you did. Um, did you did you immediately decide to make a career change? Like what what does that transition look like? Well, that transition looked like financially, I couldn't do that. Right. So I had like I had obligations and responsibilities. So what I did was I, as much as possible, I did as much free stuff at the weekends or in my free time um, to get as much experience. And you need to do a certain amount of like hours in that sense. And then I started to see clients in the evenings and at the weekends. Then I managed to get a great job kind of during the pandemic where I was able to do one day a week um, seeing clients. And I just gradually and gradually built it up. And then I got to the point where I was like, yeah, I don't need to do this anymore. But for me, I guess in a way, it was less of a leap, I'd like to say, than for other people, because I was a freelancer, so I wasn't quitting a job. I was just saying no to contracts. Mm. And that makes a big difference, right? Because it means that you could, you, you know, you're the master of your own time. You can do what I you could want. still go back and work in TV right now if I wanted to. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't feel like a door, a door closing. But I think there needs to be some kind of, like, if someone's listening right now and they're thinking about changing what they do, there does need to be some kind of urgency behind it. And like, I really couldn't do TV anymore. Like I was being asked to do things that I physically couldn't do. And doctors were saying, you're not physically fit to go on a plane and fly to America and do 14 hour day shifts. Like I had to find something else. Oh, wow. Is that the sort of stuff you were being asked to do? 
yeah tv is like you know you'll be sitting at home tomorrow okay we need you on a red eye to wherever that someone's just given us access to this cult you need to go and film with them <laughs> i mean to me that sounds really fun and glamorous but i totally get that you can it, it's probably fun the first time the second time less fun and then third time not fun at all um yeah you don't know who you're going with as well <laughs> yeah that's also true um but like, I've kind of got one little foot in the door of production as well because I work in marketing, TV, advertising space as well. But I'm very much not on the front line of production. And I always think that they have got like, they're real unsung heroes, the people that kind of produce this amazing TV and film that we watch. Um, and we and we don't often see how many hours and how much blood, sweat and tears goes in it goes into film. So like fair play. And I can only imagine how kind of, draining it is to work you know in 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 that industry but was there a day I guess where you've you know you're you're in training you're becoming an NLP, NLP practitioner was that you know you have to start I guess like building a client base and was there a day you kind of said right no more TV I'm full-time life coach yeah it was it was my body basically told me I was offered a, a sort of a five month job as a producer on like a very prestigious BBC three thing. Like it was oh, a wow, thing that would okay. be good for my career. And I got the email and I felt nothing but sick dread. And my brain was saying, you know, Gemma, why this is like the thing that you always, and I, my body literally was just like, I, I couldn't breathe. I was like, <gasps> I was like, right, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> this has to I have to do this all the time sounds like an easy enough decision yeah it didn't actually feel that hard did you have a support network at the time did you like have to did you use your parents you said your mum was in tv like what kind of pressures or not were you did you have around you so I had my parents who are just like so supportive and like just do what you need to do mm. and they can see they were at the front line for the last 10 years of like all the stress that I experienced with TV, like, you know, financial, like, am I going to get a job? Am I not going to get a job? Or like, I'm working with this person, they're really difficult, but I can't complain because I'm a freelancer. So if I complain about someone, I'm going to get a bad reputation. Like they were involved in this hamster wheel of stress. They were just so supportive about me exploring something that would make me feel better. Mm. And um, one of my best friends, um, she ran her own business. She'd never had a, had a boss. So she was just totally like, right, helping me, giving me the confidence to, 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 cause I could see someone else who'd done it. Mm. Um, and so that was really, really helpful. And also this period was also happening through during the kind of beginnings of the pandemic and everyone around me just was like, this is your time. So if I just told someone randomly, I mean, did, was I even telling people randomly? Because I don't think I was talking to anyone in this time yeah. period. Um, but there was just such an appetite to understand a bit more about the mind and how we can best support ourselves and, and feel better. That's amazing. So it's kind of a, an if not now, when moment that just like spurred you on. That sounds amazing. Um, so was there anything kind of like going even further back, potentially in your childhood and teenage years, was there anything that you kind of like in hindsight, you can see how you were always maybe destined to work uh, in the field that you do? Or did it just come because this random by chance exposure to, to NLP I think I've always I think that, I think it was like the reason that I what got into TV is I've always been really interested in understanding how people feel and how like mm. you know getting control of that and being in charge of how you feel and I guess understanding people's differences and then also their similarities so in tv that looked like i really enjoyed interviewing people and finding out why they do the things that they do be similar to what you what you do right yeah but i i found it limiting i remember very immediately finding it very limiting even in my first job that i couldn't actually change anything i was basically creating a vehicle with which people could tell me something i could put it out in the world and then maybe some change could be created but that always felt a little bit nebulous to me. Even I remember when I was doing like new stuff when I was like 17. Um, so I think that always, there was always like a little bit of frustration right from the beginning that I couldn't help people, that I just had to sort of film it and then stop. So you, so you were like just telling a story in a moment in time, but what you really wanted to do was actually, you know, continue the story and help change and help make it better. Yeah, I guess. And, that, and that got really, I would say, 
worse the most like entrenched I got in TV because the sort of people I was talking to had then begun to experience you know so so much more like one memory that really sticks in my head was also I I went to meet up with uh, I was working on a BBC two series about about terrorism and there was an awful awful terrorist attack in Sri Lanka an English family and two of their children died and I met up with oh maybe five days after um, it had happened with one of the children he did, he didn't go and he 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 lost two of his siblings and I met with him and I like, had absolutely no idea how to talk to him what to say and at that point I was like I don't actually feel equipped for the job that I do because I'm regularly speaking to people who'd experienced so much and it was a Finsbury Park bus that particular project we weren't we I didn't feel like I had the tools really and mm. it always felt kind of challenging just leaving someone from that I remember watching him walk away and I'm like I just think we just spoke about this but I'm pretty sure this is going to make you feel worse because you just had to speak for an hour to me about losing your siblings about losing your siblings that that's really kind of stuck something in me do you feel like there's been just on on a side note there's been a bit of a turning point though for tv I'm just thinking with the Jeremy Carl saga um that mental health is actually having well I was going to say comeuppance, but mental health has been taken more seriously um, in in the TV industry. Just Love Island and Big Brother and reality TV. There's more psych checks now than before. Or do you do you not feel like it's gone when we're doing enough? I think externally for people who are on shows, definitely. But I don't know from behind the scenes of people that I still talk to. I'd say it's a really toxic industry still. And the reason that so many brilliant people continue to do it is because they really love it. Um, but I'd say a culture that's based on scarcity, there's not enough jobs for the people that there are, and all on kind of reputation, i.e. you don't get a job through applying on a website mainly, you get a job because you've worked with someone before and they mention your name in an office and they say, what are they like? Yeah. And if you've someone who's complained about someone who's bullying you, Mm. you're not going to get another job. So until that changes, I'm kind of unconvinced. And I think there's been a lot of like stuff that people have tried to do. There's charities, all these kind of things. But the inherent culture of that freelance world, I don't think has really changed. That is so interesting. Yeah, because you're very, like you've got you've you, you're constantly incentivized to like build up this ridiculous persona or reputation where you're all things to all people, right? Yeah. Like I had um, another podcast guest who's an art director and, you know, he was saying how like he's in the Facebook groups. You're constantly hustling with producers about trying to get your name and fit the door. It's like, who knows who? And it's not really a meritocratic or fair, fair industry by the sounds of it. Um, but you've, you've, uh, you've stepped away, which is great for everyone. Um, so let's move on to talk a little bit about the day-to-day of being a life coach, because I think it's a concept that I think, you know, through film and TV, funnily enough, people have ideas and perceptions of, but I don't think, and I speak, well, I, I certainly don't think I truly, truly understand what a life coach is and what it does versus what a therapy, um, what a therapist does. Um, so I just wondered if you would be able to tell me a little bit about it in your own words, what, what it is a life coach does and how, and how that differs to therapy. Yeah, absolutely. This is such a good question and something that I honestly didn't really understand until I sort of became a coach. Um, so a therapist, I'd say therapy sessions, and this is obviously me explaining from, I'm not a therapist from my understanding, it's about processing things that have happened in the past. Um, and there's no pressure or agenda about having to create change. It's about processing what has happened and understanding why the way that you feel right now, the way things seem right now can be linked to your past and giving a space for that. Coaching is much more future focused. Coaching is like, how can I get from where I am right now to where I really want to get to? And we might need to go back to the past to undo and let go of some things that might be stopping you or blocking you getting to the future. But when we go back to the past, we're trying to work out more how that happened rather than why, because we can't change the past. Right. And that's like an ultimate presupposition of NLP really is like, you can't change the past. You're you're never too old though, to create a happy childhood, i.e. you can go back and let it go. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there, that, that's kind of a blurred line with therapy, though, because I guess the therapist would also kind of touch on those sorts of themes. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know if the therapy, there's a, and again, if a therapist is listening, apologies if I'm getting this wrong. I don't think it's not about, you don't, you don't need to get somewhere. No. It's about holding a space for that. Yeah. Yes. I'd imagine in therapy, like the objective is to build a happier life, be happier. But I guess people are coming to you with much more pointy, specific objectives and goals in life that they want to achieve. Would that be fair to say? Yes. People come to me and it's like, what's the, what do you want? Like, Let's <laughs> make this happen. So, but is it fair to say, like, for example, I'm sure there's lots of people out there. I may be one of them where I know I've got like lofty ambitions and goals, but I'm not really sure what they are. Is that something a life coach could could help me uncover, for example? Yeah, so I'd say actually, interestingly, I'm going to kind of be hypocritical of my what I just said. The majority of people come to me and they're really stuck because they don't know what they want. They just know what they're doing right now isn't right. So, this, so some people who come with, the people who actually come with the more specific shopping list, often when we get down to it, it's actually not the things that they want, they're the things that they think they should want. But I'd say the majority of the person comes to me, it's either, I don't, this is stopping me living my life, this kind of behavior, this kind of, experience anxiety this sort of phobia whatever or it's I'm really stuck I don't know what I want I feel so disconnected from what's actually happening but I know I could be happier and and I guess you're probably exposed to people who've already done some introspection in the work to know that they are in need of of a of a coach so what kind of signs and signals do people typically have before they come and like knock on your door and say help yeah, really good question. So a lot of people I work with have had therapy. I think it's also really worth pointing out that I've had therapy and I find it incredibly useful. I'm not having therapy at the moment, but I definitely feel like it's something I would return to in the future. Um, so a lot of people have had therapy and they're really, some of them are very clued up about why they're doing all the things that they do. And they found it really useful, but they, they're still stuck about how to actually implement those changes to start doing the things that they want. Um, some people have had no therapy um they've had they've never done any work it's quite a lot of my male clients um but they just know that that they like the idea of something really focused and something which they're going to see tangible benefits from um but I think it's that feeling like I just don't feel right I just don't feel like I'm me at the moment or like this sensation is really like stopping me being me that that feels like something that comes up quite a lot I'd say the signs but it's normally a thing that it's like a cause and effect situation. There is something that is making them feel a bit icky and they want, and they don't know why or how to fix it. Yeah. Or like I keep doing this the pattern of behavior. I know mm. it doesn't make sense, but I just can't seem to stop it. And I've been doing this for so many years and like enough is enough. Interesting. That's a good point, actually. So what, what's the relationship with kind of life coaching NLP with CBT, for example? So I think they're both, and I don't know that much about CBT, but I think they're both outcome-based. Um, but my understanding of CBT is that it's more of a generic approach. Like, these are these tools Whereas NLP is really interested in like an individual person because the way that you experience reality is totally different to another person. So if I just, you know, it's not a like, oh, we can just use one process because a James is different than a Gemma, right? Correct. The way that yeah. you process information, the beliefs that you have about the world, whether you're like a visual or an auditory person, whether you feel things or things seem a certain way, that that really impacts what you do so I think for me and again I, I don't know that much about CBT NLP that there's more dynamism I would say yeah. for me but yeah yeah I had a CBT I had three CBT sessions like many many years ago and I just <laughs> this is going to sound so offensive so apologies to anyone who is practicing but I thought it was awful I was just like I don't get it this isn't working this yeah. just feels Maybe it was because it wasn't suited or tailored enough to me, but it just whatever the very lovely practitioner was trying to do just wasn't wasn't working. Yeah, I mean, I had a really like not a great experience with this. I had a CBT session when I was you know, experiencing a lot of pain. I would see a health CBT mm. professional, and it wasn't helpful for me. And I think it's 
can I know that it can be helpful for people but a lot of my clients haven't had have found it unhelpful and the only thing that I find really hard is because it's prescribed by the NHS I've had people come to me and they're like oh yeah like I'm just like out of ideas because CBT didn't work for me and I've had anxiety for 10 years and then we do a session and they're like well that's so I feel better already and it, it gives them hope so I think if you're listening and you've had CBT and you're like if you know if it's worked for you great but if it hasn't there's nothing wrong with you like well me and James both saying it didn't help us but it just means that there's that they just try something different like yeah yeah it's not it's not one just because the NHS prescribes it for a variety of reasons that aren't necessarily connected to how effective it is for people that's the problem like I mean anyone who's listening would have heard me bang on about how valuable I think therapy is and I think there's anyone who's gone through therapy will always be I've yet to meet someone who's had therapy and hated it um but and I'm sure there are people out there who didn't have a positive experience but for the most part most people love um and have really sort of found value in having therapy and or life coaching and I just it just beggars belief why that isn't on the NHS but CBT is it's to do with pricing. We can get us a whole other conversation, but it's to do with the fact that they, with therapy, requires you know more sessions, whereas CBT they can say here's six sessions, off you go. Um, and that's, <laughs> Good luck. And there's, there's some clinical like there's some clinical information that passes NHS guidelines. Interestingly, on my coaching program, I do six sessions with people. Um, is that the kind of the package? Is that how how it works? Yeah, so I work with people apart from with phobias. I tend to just do one session with people with phobias. Oh, that's really all it takes. Um, but usually I work across three to four months with people across six sessions, and that's like the coaching program that, that I do. Regardless of the issue or the severity or how long it's been going on, you it's six sessions up to, up to because I'm less interested I suppose from if I'm taking like a lot of steps back it, I'm, I'm changing the structure of I'm helping people show them how to change the structure of the system of the way that they've been thinking feeling behaving acting and regardless of the content we're dealing with you know it depends how entrenched it is right but we're, we're dealing with the unconscious mind and I think you know it doesn't mean but you need six sessions to start feeling great you know after one session people feel different there's a shift already like I remember I did one exercise in my practitioner that like completely changes something that even today I think about regularly like you know so but but when we're changing and I'm working on like the idea that there's neuroplasticity in the brain so that we can change the way that we think we need to it's really helpful to have someone continuing to help you change the way you think because then we're creating a new pathway and it will still be really easy at the beginning to go down the old pathway. So I need that time with people and that, that, that kind of space between sessions where they keep going down this new pathway, keep trying it the other way to show their unconscious mind that it is safe, that it is better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I work across that that amount of sessions. Yeah. I've heard lots of um, habit, practice um kind of thinkers and theorists talk about you know repeating those new neurological pathways and that's how new habits are formed so that all makes complete sense as you were talking though and I don't know why my mind kind of went over there but sometimes it does um but you know if if you can help rewire the way people think about things that are negatively impacting them is this kind of a theory or kind of a platform that can be used to justify things like conversion therapy in in kind of you know in in the world of sexuality like could could like back in the day when well I think conversion therapy is still a thing in the UK but is do do the conversion therapists kind of use NLP as kind of justification for for their practices my god I don't know I just the thing so the thing about NLP is and the way that I've been trained thoroughly by what I believe is the most rigorous, you know, kind of board, is that it always has to have a really, it has to be what the client wants, number one, and what they really, really want, but also has to have ecology for the rest of the world and for other people. And I mean, the moment you say conversion therapy, my body just like totally like feels as stiff as a board and terrified and like that just like, it's like, is that what is useful in the world, stopping people being who they really are? 
is that for? Is it for the client? Is it for the person? What's the ripple effect for the everyone else, other people in society? Um, it's, good, it's got to be ethical, right? Yeah. Like, and that, and that wouldn't be ethical. Yeah. And I know that, for example, because what I'm trained in is really powerful. And I was thoroughly like spoken to before I started training by someone to check why I really wanted to do this. Really? They like had to like check Yeah, because you, you want to check when you're showing people ways that you can help people. And people are always in charge of, of what they're doing. But you need to be really careful. Like what are your goals? What are your intentions? And my intention every time I sit with someone is I look at them and I think I actually look at them how they how they want to be. So when they tell me what they want, I see them as that person. I'm talking to that person. And my intention in that session then is just to help them and show them the solutions to get to where they want to be. That makes sense. That makes sense. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just so powerful. And I was looking at your Instagram, like I was saying, just before we started recording, like last night, and I was looking at all the press and all the work that you were doing during the pandemic, because I think it's a real kind of interesting period of time for all sorts of, you know, for all sorts of social scientists or people who are just interested in like the human mind on how people adjusted and sort of dealt dealt with the pandemic. And you you've written about kind of um social anxiety and relationships and friendships and all sorts of things that have changed in in the last couple of years for for you know all people but i th- i think it's fair to say that young people in particular have been most impacted or impacted to you know quite a large extent so i just wondered if you've got any thoughts on the relationship between the sorts of issues that you're dealing with in your in your coaching rooms and and the pandemic if at all yeah, definitely. I think it was really had a very privileged position in that period between people sort of returning back to work as well. Um, around, you know, it's not normal for us all to be locked away and disconnected. I don't know, stating the obvious, right? But then that kind of feeling then of of going back and being in a room full of people because I think our minds and our bodies weren't used to it, so we're not. I would say like we're not we're not human doings we're not robots we're not computers we're actually human beings and we're incredibly sensitive so this whole kind of like okay you've got to start just get back into normal life now there's kind of like quite a lot of hardness around that so I think it was about gently and I always say it's like you know there's loads of little steps how can we best support ourselves in returning back to work returning back to that life but for a lot of people that time away was like okay I actually got perspective and for a lot of people it's like I don't really think I want to be doing that anymore or like I didn't really enjoy like going to the pub every Saturday night or like I didn't really enjoy this I was just doing this because it was something that I felt that I should do and the pandemic was such a destructive thing like and but I would say the positives that I've seen from it are that people actually really connected to what they actually really wanted they got off what I would call like the train tracks the hamster wheel of doing things shoulds all these things and actually really got protective like what do I actually really like yeah yeah I mean this podcast started before that very reason like I I was on a serious hamster wheel like coffees lunches brunches gym nights out sleep gym works <laughs> coffee brunches lunches gym sleep work and it was just like and then pandemic happened and I was like oh my god like oh tv like I never watched tv really I never watched like series and I was like oh like I'm getting into tv I'm reading books I painted my flat and then I started a podcast and I realized that I actually have like really different interests to what my actual lifestyle was doing before mm-hmm. like in normal times pre-pandemic and that's really stuck uh, with me, as in my lifestyle has massively changed. I don't go out anywhere near as much. Obviously, I'm three years older now, but like I'm I'm like done with the clubbing. I'm done with the drinking. I like held my hands up to all my friends and was like, yeah, I, do you know what? Like, I just don't like nights out anymore. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to like have an early night, meet you for a coffee, meet you for, you know, dinner. But then I want to be in bed by like 9, 30, 10. And I've been and I've been doing that for two three years now and obviously I've got a podcast now I started a photography side hustle business thing um and obviously we still work from home a lot of the time so yeah no I can completely subscribe to that everything you just described was like me all over but I remember it must have been like a few days before I think we called out the time like liberation day um or freedom day it was like some July July 2021 
And I was like, I had like a lot of social anxiety because people were buying me tickets for like big club nights and stuff. Um, And I was like, I just don't want to go. Like, I just don't want to go. I don't know what I'm going to wear. People are going to see me out in public for the first time. I felt all very exposed. Obviously, it was all me, 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 all very self-indulgent. But I did a poll on Instagram and I was like, guys, like, I'm really interested. Who, Who has social anxiety about you know liberation day or whatever it was and who wants to stay indoors for a little bit longer um and it was like 60 40 like the numbers were really interesting like 40 percent of people had social anxiety and 60 percent of people were like oh my god get me a drink i'm going out and i and it's interesting because everyone to your point everyone is different and i'm really interested in why some people like me who was you know super off the charts extrovert all of a sudden found themselves being like i don't want to go out anymore like I've got I've got mild social anxiety and some people who have similar situation to me they may live alone they may live with their family but they were desperate to go out again like how do you know we've all been through the same thing why do some people go one way and, and some the other and I would welcome your thoughts on that yeah really interesting question um beliefs it's about beliefs and values and beliefs control everything that we do, they're the kind of bedrock of all our behavior. And beliefs aren't facts, they're thoughts that we think a lot. So we can actually change them. But it sounds like your belief shifted in the pandemic, right? Beliefs about what made you happy or things that you really liked. And that's cool because we have this whole thing called behavioral flexibility. That sometimes you really enjoy doing some things in your life and there'll be times when you don't and you like prefer to do other things. We don't need to just be one static version of ourselves, but it sounds like, yeah, just some people believe that that was the thing that was going to make them really happy was going out. And some people believe that actually going out felt a bit scary and what felt better was staying inside and keeping on that same routine. And that there were certain ways of like being right. Some people believe that when they go out on a big night out, they have to be some other kind of person. And that feels like effort. Whereas for some people, going out is actually when they're their true self. So they may feel that when they're being at home, watching TV, that like, that's not who they really are. So the arena to really be who they want to be is in a massive nightclub. Interesting. Interesting. And I guess you, am I right in thinking that the life coach would have a different view on that to like a therapist? Because I can imagine a, a therapist who comes from like, I guess the deep-rooted like Freud school of thought or whatever would would be sitting there being think like would listen to that and think oh probably need to unpick that a little bit like why is it that you feel like you're your truest self in a big nightclub because surely that well, would come with some form, issues like most of our beliefs are formed before the age of six so I yes. do work with people where we do and this I guess is another thing that makes it different therapies I get people to close their eyes I get them to stand up I lead them through processes which are mind and body so we'll be looking at what's going on somatically which is a fancy way of saying what's happening in here I would be interested not necessarily to know why but necessarily to know how that belief was then formed so I work with people with social anxiety all the time and it's usually something that happened when they're at school and that gets lodged in their unconscious mind and they can consciously know that they're a 35 year old man right now but something inside them is being taken back to that moment of when they were 14 and they stood up and everyone laughed at them so rather than going and staying just on that moment, it's about going back to that moment, but disassociating from it and changing the way that it happened so that you can, in the present moment, experience things differently. Wow. God, the mind's so powerful, isn't it? Easy. I mean, the unconscious mind controls 95% of what, what we do, but we rarely, you know, have conversations with it, right? So all the processes that I do with people are all towards the unconscious mind because consciously this we can go around and we go around in circles in our head and obviously this is a podcast so no one can see what I'm doing with my hand but I'm looking <laughs> with my hands and it's like the shit you know the shitty committee that lives rent free in our in our head yes shitty committee I love that shitty. like we get stuck we get stuck with this itty bitty shitty voice and if we always listen to this voice we actually can't really change and sometimes when we get stuck in conscious kind of conversation that 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 voice just goes in circles yeah yeah it's huge that is yeah talked about that a lot on therapy as well kind of people yeah Jekyll and Hyde and the chimp paradox and it's all good good angel bad devil yeah 
there's constant paradoxes in our in our heads i think it's fascinating and on that point do you see has there been kind of a change in behaviors towards sort of life coaching towards you know mental health and and self-development in recent years i certainly feel like there has been maybe that's because i do podcasts and i talk a lot about mental health and i'm in therapy myself but you know in in the world you know are you seeing more people more you know interested in in the topic yeah, definitely. So when I first started coaching, I thought coaching was something that people who were sort of CEOs of very big companies had. Or I thought it was something that people did in LA and it was a bit like woo-woo for like celebrities. I had absolutely no idea that it, coaching is literally for everyone. And it's just as like, it, it it's just, you know, as, as the kind of approachable and, and, you know, I guess implementable as therapy is. Um, so I had a total misconception about it. And it's interesting. I do think since I've become a coach, people are now sort of starting to see the benefit that it can really be for everyone. But it's still, I believe, something much more in the US people think is a kind of standard procedure. Whereas I definitely find in the UK, people are still slightly confused by it or they think it's somehow, I guess, indulgent. Whereas therapy is now seen as something that's more like, right, I need to have therapy. Whereas coaching is seen as a bit like oh, okay but I'm not like the boss of a FTSE 100 company whereas actually coaching might be right for you at a certain point in your life when therapy isn't and vice versa but it's interesting I did a workshop the other week for a venture capital fund and a lot of people there are based like worked in Silicon Valley and they totally immediately understood the value of what I offer and what I'm trained in and what I do because mm. they're just leap years ahead in America leap years yeah it's just not the British way is it no, they are about making things better, optimizing. It, it was always about for us, especially was like getting away from things. How can we not get into this situation? <laughs> Whereas I'm like, well, let's just dream about what we want, and that's kind of a weird feeling sometimes for our sensibilities. Mm. Generationally, though, do you think? Do you think we're we're changing? Do you think like millennials and Gen Z that come after us are kind of more open to the ideas of coaching and and therapy? Without question, like definitely, and I think like the fact that you know, I'm very lucky to have some of my clients like share what we do publicly um, on social media. And like, I don't believe that that would have even happened like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Or like, I remember when I was at school, there was a counselor and I don't think anyone ever used to go and see them. And we really needed to go and see her, but it was shameful. I remember her her room was like somewhere like sort of dark end, like almost in a broom cupboard. And even if you walk near that room, you'd have to be like, well, I'm not going to see the counselor. I'm just going over here. Yeah, Um, yeah, Yeah. So I do think um their definitely attitudes have changed but I do worry sometimes that we, we can know things but we don't really like do them for ourselves they're like oh that's a good idea we should do that we should you know have therapy or coaching or whatever it is and whatever feels mo- most useful for you but we don't actually you know live them yes I totally agree with that. And, I, and I've seen that, you know, firsthand in my own friendship groups, you know, I've said, you know, I've always since the day I started, I was like, I, I'm seeing a therapist, like, um, you know, Monday evenings, that's what I do. And then at the beginning, people are like, okay, we don't, we won't ask any more questions. And that because it's like, oh, there's obviously something wrong. And we don't want to sort of trigger or like rock the boat or like ask too many questions. Whereas now they're like, oh, okay, like, do you enjoy it? Like, tell me a bit about it. How does it work? Because it's, it is a really difficult thing. And everyone will have a different experience um, of it. Um, and every therapist is different as well. They follow different theories, modalities, you know, practices, etc. Um, so it is really difficult. And I've always found it difficult to package up and articulate the, the value and the benefits of it. Um, and, I, and I'm working on that, but I think you just know as a, as a, I guess, a client or recipient of it, of any sort of coaching or, or therapy that it is, you know, infinitely, like it just changes your life um, in so many ways. I think you said just before there was one framework or one kind of um, theory that was explained to you that's kind of that you think about every day and change your mind. I I have the same, like there was one thing that was just explained to me once a really irrelevant like side topic and I think about it all the time about you know in how I interact with people and and that theory so all sorts of things can come of it but I've noticed like even in the last six months six to twelve months like more people are are open and um thinking more about it and, and realizing that actually you don't have to have a massive trauma or an addiction or um you know you don't have to have suffering with grief 
to to see someone. I think everyone in so many different ways can benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, I think it's really cool that you told your friends because it might have not seemed to have had much impact at the time, but it really will because you just need to see that one person is doing something and then it sometimes seems okay. And I, I did an Instagram post a while ago, which is like, you know, you know, things don't have to be bad to work with a coach or therapist. Like the same way that, you know, we go to the gym to work our muscles, you know, we need tools to be able to work our minds. And I say like, you know, life happens and isn't it best to have the most adaptable, great tools at your hand to know how to deal with it? So we're building a toolkit. We're not trying to make everything okay because we can't control the world and other people. But we're trying to build ourselves right in the, in the strongest way so that when things do happen, we can navigate them the best that we can with all the resources that we have. Yeah, I love that. That's a really nice way of putting it. And you used an example at the beginning, right at the top, about how, you know, I think the example you gave is some people can do TED Talks and some people have all sorts of anxiety and extreme nervousness around it. And obviously, I think it's fair to say everyone would get nervous doing a TED Talk. So that's probably a bit of an extreme example. But public speaking in general, like some people just have a massive aversion to um, speaking in public, whereas some people don't. And I just I'm really, really interested in kind of why you think that is. I'm assuming it might be something to do with beliefs. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely to do with beliefs and it really stems a lot from like people who find it easy, they feel inherently and they've always they they look through the world as evidence that they have something to share. It's all about the lenses that you put on, right? So if you're wearing glasses that show you everything supports this idea that I have a value, I have something to share. Whereas if you have these glasses on that are like, I'm not worthy, I don't have anything useful to say. Everywhere you look, you'll find reasons why you're not the right person to speak in the presentation. You're not the right person to stand up and present like to your company. Um, and that is really, really integral. And the great thing is about beliefs is that if you talk to someone, I always talk to people who do things that I don't understand why. And that's your podcast is so cool, right, for that. But it's like, I, I can't do that. How do I know why? And I remember when... I first started it was like quite intimidated because I was coaching someone like a man who was a lot older than me and you know had achieved a lot of like financial success and I spoke to my friend about it who started a company when he was very young and he was always in a board meeting with a lot of people and I was like but don't you feel like you know fraud and imposter whatever and he's like no because I have something totally unique to offer like I have such value there that they don't understand like that they won't get so he's like I don't feel nervous because every time I sit in that room I embody that he embodies that basically um so I think that that it's all about those beliefs and people just naturally have these beliefs probably from childhood um men tend to have these beliefs slightly more than women right yeah um but it's all about going back and working out how we can change them and what you'd like them to be instead and building of like well, why is it going to be great to have this like how great could it be if you could just stand up in a meeting and you don't go red and you don't feel nervous about the butterflies yeah. in your stomach but you just feel excited yeah is there a lot of visualizations that you have to do by way of like as part of the the coaching is like imagine what that would feel like if you were standing on te- on the TEDx giving giving a talk like, do you, do you have to actually visualize it? You have to get really specific and that's visual, it's audio, it's how it feels, mm. how it sounds. It's like everything has to be locked in because it's like, if you're traveling to a destination right now, you need to put it into your sat nav and the moment you put it into your phone or wherever, you get all these routes that then lead you there. But if you don't have those routes, how does your body and your nervous system know how to carry you there like whenever I do like events or things like that I, I basically put into my sat nav how I want to feel when I walk out you know what's happened I don't and then and I don't need to worry too much obviously I'll prepare but like I don't need to worry about too much what happens in between because I ultimately in my body and my mind knows where I'm going that's amazing that's so such a good like, way there's, yeah. there's visualizations that I've you know done with, like people have messaged me I've got an email, email this morning from someone being like just did that thing that we did a year ago like it literally like it's like I do it like whenever I have a meeting and it like totally changes the game like the meeting went amazing thank you that's amazing so good 
And I remember, you know, Stephen Bartlett talks about this as well, because he's obviously super young. You know, he's he's the youngest dragon that there's there's ever been. And he's been asked and he talks a lot about imposter syndrome. And he he actually went on stage recently and said that he doesn't he's actually stopped talking about imposter syndrome because he thinks it's quite a negative word. It kind of implies that, you know, you you are an imposter, whereas he he was coming from a point which is how you described it, which is like you're not an imposter. You have a different thing to add. Like there is always going to be someone who's bigger, brighter, fatter, slimmer, richer, poorer than you. You're not going to be the top of the game in everything you do. And, you know, he talks about, you know, I'm a big, big Stephen Bartlett fan, by the way. But like in Happy Sexy Millionaire, like he talks about how, you know, he at one point had the biggest social media marketing company in the world or whatever. But he's by no means the best at social media. He's 70% good at lots of different things that laddered up to him being the best at his game in the industry. So it's like you don't have to, I think, and, and we as individuals put ourselves under so much pressure to like be amazing at something. Like I put myself under loads of pressure to be the best podcaster. But to what we were saying before, there are, there's always going to be someone who's got a bigger production team um, and is, you know, investing more money in tech. So like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to win that war, but if I can, you know, improve, you know, it's the 1% better everyday type approach, then that's going to, that's enough for me. And I'm happy with that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's about being on your own track of where you want to get to. And I like totally endorse that 1% every day. And it's about your unique, the way that you ask questions, the way that you engage with people, the people that you speak, you know, choose to speak to. There's such magic to how you do that. And no one else can do that. And so people don't seem like, what I find amazing working with people is often the things that people believe hold them back, give them some kind of magic in a way. Yeah. And it's about utilizing those things to allow you that when you show up, whether it's on a stage or in a conversation or whatever, that, that really allow you to be, because I was really good at like pretending to be someone else who I thought everyone really wanted and who thought was a good work colleague, who thought was a good daughter, a girlfriend, you know, friend, whatever it was. And that, that was, you know, exhausting me, making me ill, all these kind of things. Yeah, I bet. So it's like when we can actually just show up and just be like, right, this is who I actually am. But I know there's something useful about it. Like, I think I think people get there, like, yeah, just be you. But I'm like, yeah, but just being you actually, like, will make you more successful. Like, when I just was me and I just was the coach that I really wanted to be, right, which is like, I got tougher, right, with people. I'd be like, right, after every session, I'd be like, okay, what, 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 what are we doing next session? Well, are you going to come to me? I, I, and I was like scared at the beginning of doing it. So like, what if people don't like me? Then I realized, okay, it doesn't matter if people don't like me. I just want to be the best coach that I can be. Genuinely, the results that I started getting with people changed by like a thousand percent. A hundred percent. I can, I, I love that. And I, I, and you know, I think we, like I say to my therapist sometimes, I was like, you need to challenge me more. Like you need to be harder on me because this is, I, I need you to like really push me. Um, but, but I know it, and I guess it comes back to kind of, um, what, what, like what incentivizes different people. Some people are stick people, some people are carrot people, I guess. I, I sound quite tough, like not tough, but like mm. I'm pretty, because I feel really passionate about transformation. I'm like, okay, so we do this work and it's like, but tangibly, what have you, you know, we're going to do this. We're like, oh, wow, so I've actually got to do this. I'm like, yeah, this isn't an abstract conversation. This is something that you've got the opportunity now to take out into the world. And like, if you don't want to do that, like we need to find out why and we can def- definitely explore that. But if that's something you really want, we actually need to do it. You actually need yeah. to do it. You take responsibility and, and, and do it. And that might feel tricky sometimes, but then people come back to me beaming. I did it. This thing that I thought I could never do. I've done it now. Great. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's huge. Huge. And it comes back to kind of, you know, when I've read books on habit forming, James Clear, Atomic Habits is, is a good example of this. He always talks about there has to be urgent and immediate results as well for something to stick. So you as a as a pay, as a client, I was going to say patient, it's not, that sounds a bit aggressive. Um, you would need to see... Um, you need to see results quite quickly for you to, it's like weight loss, right? If, if you're on a diet and you don't see you l- losing weight in the first week to 10 days, you're more likely to quit the diet. Like you, like you want to, you want to see results for it to kind of, you know, for you to keep going. Very interesting stuff. Um, so 
again, so moving into kind of like your own guiding beliefs and values and self-development, what do you do, if anything, to like look after your own mental health? Do you have any practices or kind of daily habits or routines that, that you implement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something I discovered recently is that I don't, I don't like the specifics of like having to have a morning routine because it actually makes me quite stressed that if I don't do something, <laughs> then I'm somehow not going to be an optimal human being. Yeah. So I've actually got an anti-morning routine now. Um, but I think I ask myself when I wake up in the morning, what I'm really excited about for the day, what's what I'm looking forward to, because I'm programming myself then to, for success, right? So I like, what am I excited about? What's going to be good today? Um, and I'm do you really do that bad. in a formal way? Like, or do you, do you, you know, you lie in bed and you say, right, right, Gemma, like it's Monday. What are we excited about? Yeah. What's great about today? I'm like, what's great about today? Um, so that's really important for me to do. People can journal that as well. And then I go to bed at night and I'm like, yeah, what went great today? What could have done better? What could I do more of? So I always ask my the questions like in that kind of frame. I'm saying, what could I do more of? Not what did I fuck up on or what did I not do well? What, what could I have done more on? Um, and another thing is I'm always like learning something new because I learn a lot about myself through that. So at the moment I'm learning to play tennis. I'm really bad at it, but that's really interesting. So learning a new skill, um, I have coaching myself, um, I have supervision, I have training, I'm always going off and training more in NLP or modalities that are similar to it. And I've just started doing five rhythms, which is this kind of crazy dance thing, which really helps me kind of look after my body. Um, if you have them both Writes down five rhythms to Google. Five rhythms, it's a little bit yeah. woo-woo. Um, I'm probably not recommending this to like my engineering clients, but um, <laughs> maybe it, it it's um it's really fun. What about like the I mean, do you do yoga, meditation, um, you know, manifestations, affirmations? Like, do you subscribe to any of those sorts of things? I think I absolutely um, affirmations an interesting one. They'll only work if you're really specific about them. Um, and you really think about what you're going to lose if you get that one. So I think I definitely set goals. Um, and I'm really honest about them and I sit down and I do them. I think it's really helpful to do them with someone else though. So I probably do that in more of a coaching session. Um, meditation. I met a man, he's a kind of medicine man in Bali in the summer. And he told me that I need to stop eating my thoughts. And the way that I stop eating my thoughts is I need to sit every evening for 10 minutes and just empty my brain. Yeah. This whole concept of unpacking, like I've never been good at it. I don't know how to do it. I'm a real, um, so I sort of just sit there for 10 minutes and just sort of try and empty my mind. I don't worry too much about what happens. I don't need to have anything profound happen. I'm just like, oh, I'm just sort of emptying the dishwasher of my mind. That's, that's good. That's great. Um, did you go to this, like, was it the really famous guru man in Bali? I didn't go to him. I, I went to someone, he's called Pac-Man, if anyone's listening and going to Bali. And he's amazing and he's really good for physical stuff and um he yeah I had an auto I have an autoimmune disease and he's got me off a lot of the medication that I was on which is kind of amazing um so yeah interesting stuff really interesting um he basically just moves your body but he's like you need to keep this going you need to keep that relaxation in the body and the mind and just stop stressing out basically he everything's translated by his wife though it was like direct translation is stop eating your thoughts smart i mean that it feels feels an accurate <laughs> translation yeah um no that's super interesting i'm really interested i'm trying to read up on you know there's a book called like the body knows the score and what is yeah. it like magic medicine and all that kind it's of not stuff. One book i recommend to people the body keeps the score really that's right. interesting yeah okay so are you quite spiritual is it fair to say um so I'm, I'm I'm Jewish culturally, but I would say it's a very cultural identity. But I would say I'm not re- Jewish in a religious way. I don't feel that connects to the religious elements of it. Mm. But I guess it's like what does spirituality mean to you? I do feel there's some things that I can't quite explain. Sometimes some things that happen sometimes that I can be doing a Zoom call with a client in the US and that I can feel something in my body they're experiencing in that moment too. But I think that's just kind of rapport and chemical science and weird atoms. Basically, I've been told by scientists. Um, but spirituality for me means I think that I'm connected to something greater than myself and I feel part of something. And I guess within that, I do I do feel um, 
spirituality and, and being able to see things that have changed in my life and that I can't quite understand how, but they've just happened, that I just will have thoughts and sit down and think about something and put energy towards it and it will just happen does slightly confuse me and I think it is part of the spirituality that I just sort of think okay that's just the way it works yeah no I, I completely subscribe to everything you just said I think I'm a big believer in like energy and vibes and I don't know if that means spirituality or not yeah. I'm not but I, I I I do I do believe and I think it's a nice belief to have in in karma and doing good and sort of it's like going on a first date with someone like there's an energy there I wouldn't necessarily that's the most spiritual sort of comment I've ever made but like I think that's part of it right there there has to be some sort of unwritten intangible thing that we all experience in day-to-day life absolutely like you just walk into a room and I can I'm really I've always been I think when you asked me that question at the beginning about well you know when I did that there was there ever anything that like gave me this intuition that I was going to do this I've always been really sensitive to people's energies like Mm. and I didn't really know what that was I thought that was just sort of me being indulgent in myself but (laughs) I think it's like I'm very aware of like what people are are providing and giving and but but energy follows intention so if you put energy towards something you know, the intention, the, the intention has to come first. And I yes. believe our energies can change. Like I've seen clients' energies change. My energy changed. My coach always takes the piss out of me by like, you know, I used to, I, I walked in and I was like really cynical about everything. I was like, this is going to be shit. Like I'm yes. just here because like I had a very different energy than the energy that I have now. And I know I can go back to that energy if I want to. Oh yeah. It's just like, useful to me. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. Walked into my first ever therapy session and I think I sat there for an hour non-stop talking. I didn't come up for breath and it was all 100% negative about why life is shit, why this has happened. This all keeps happening to me. Victim, victim, victim. And then, you know, it was actually recently. So like 18 months later, he was just like, I just want to say like, I've noticed a real big change in your energy. And uh, it meant like for me, that meant so much that someone had recognized the change as well. Like I feel like we don't reassure or give credit to people's behavior change enough I think we all kind of you know I notice in my friends like some people are much happier and healthier and they glow more a bit but I never really tell them and I want to make more I know I I tell tell my clients I'm always like you know they've had like you know like just been in Bali for a month and they leave sometimes because it's like they lose I had a a session a few months ago and I I genuinely looked like my face changed in like the session because I (laughs) let go of all this crap yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing um, when things like that happen. Um, but yeah, no, it's super interesting, the discussions around spirituality and, and kind of energy. Um, so, I mean, I could talk to you all day. I'm like, I'm having the Me best too. time. <laughs> um, but um, we have to end at some point. And I always ask uh, my podcast guests to uh, write a letter to their younger selves because I, I think it's a really good reflection we, when we talk about people being extraordinary. Um, everyone has got an extraordinary story. And I think yours is, you know, super, super interesting. Um, so if you've got something prepared, I would love to hear the advice that... Um, younger Gemma needed to hear yeah this is a really cool task so thank you for that I just had some thoughts this morning um, amazing I'm not sure if they'll make sense to anyone but but me but that's, it's okay it doesn't matter it doesn't matter we're all interested <laughs> it was like hi hi Gemma I know you're worried now that you feel fear and that you're alone and that you're confused because everything really looks inverted commas great on the outside You're really good at putting a performance on. It's time to to stop doing that. It's going to make you really unwell. You've worried a lot. It's okay to stop that now. You're going to go on a journey and you're going to need to unlearn a lot of the things that you really thought were true. It'll make you feel different at first, like people won't get you. But I promise all the layers beneath you are lovable, softer and who you really are. It's going to be wild and a lot of fun. Everything you thought held you back, I promise you, has now been the things that will get you to where you are right now, where you will be right now. You will feel well. You will find connection to a group of people that you have no idea exist yet. You will feel free. Just remember to soften towards yourself. Keep focusing on what you want and just soften. Amazing. That's so sweet. I thought I always find it interesting not to I mean obviously that's incredibly like emotional powerful and extremely kind of personal but 
I'm always struck by how many people come on here with their letters to their younger selves and they talk about how lonely they were as children. And it's like everyone, we as kids, we were, we all we wanted to do was belong. And so many people who I've spoken to on this podcast journey just felt so alone. Yeah, it makes no sense. I have like the best parents in the world, like yeah. best friends. But I think I think I and that person's always. I was an only child, so my parents did everything they could to you know make me feel not alone. Like amazing, <laughs> so but cute. you know I just felt alone, and that's nothing to do with brothers and sisters. It's like an internal feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. Sense of where do you belong in the world? Are you proud? Would would kind of younger Gemma be very proud of who she is today? I think she thinks she was like quite naughty because she didn't follow the track that she was meant to follow and that the school probably expected of her so I think she's like quite well I'd be like she'd be like she's quite cool she's a bit of a wild card like I wonder how well she's gonna do on her A-levels though like but maybe mm. it didn't matter <laughs> did you put yourself under a lot of pressure to achieve academically huge pressure crazy pressure and like that was I guess part of that letter was like it's not that important but like she didn't mm. know that because she was in a bubble of, of that, that she thought that was her card to a good life so yeah. I think the thing that she'd be really impressed by Gemma now would be like, oh, that she discovered that there was lots of choice. Yeah. And she rebelled a bit and she didn't necessarily follow the rule book or become an accountant or a doctor because <laughs> that's boring. But also if that's what makes you really, really happy though. So I have friends who are accountants and they love it. So. Sorry, doctors. Sorry, accountants. <laughs> you, have, you have cool jobs. I promise. <laughs> um, no, but it's, yeah, you know, a hundred percent. Again, I see a lot of myself in 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 that because I thought I didn't know. You know, the schools I went to, I didn't know what a, a career in production looked like. It wasn't even. I mean, thank God you had your mum as a reference point. But like, you know, certainly that was not. I mean, media studies wasn't a, an option in my, in the school that I went to. Um, but if it was, maybe I would have. Tr- done that and maybe I would have studied at university and maybe I would have started a podcast 10 years ago mm. um but I think it's really important to you know reflect on the fact that when we we're younger we weren't given all the options or the choices and you have to go and find them and I believe that like, defining them is, is is often the interesting bit like the podcast yeah. that you would have done 10 years ago wouldn't be the the magic that it is now right no it would have been shit <laughs> <laughs> um but no that's a really really powerful letter to your younger self so thank you very much for doing that I know it's not easy and you know a lot of thought and effort and emotion obviously goes into it so I really appreciate you doing that thank you um Gemma thank you so much like I said I could talk to you all day I I find you fascinating the work that you do is fascinating I'll leave your socials and your websites etc in the show notes but um yeah just thank you so much for, for joining me today Thank you so much, Jess. I've had so much fun. No, pleasure's all mine. And I hope to see you very soon. Bye. Bye. Cheers, Gemma. Bye. Thank you as always for listening to yet another podcast episode and if you enjoyed listening to this as much as I did making it then I would really appreciate it if you headed over to wherever it is that you're listening from to leave a rating or a review and if you haven't subscribed and if you click the little subscribe button it just means you get notified when new episodes get released so it just helps you and I both out massively. Uh, But until next time take care stay safe and I will see you very soon.